of this seemingly ancient uh, practice of baptism. We've been doing it now for 2,000 years as a church. What are we doing and why do we do it? Well, the first thing that I'll say is that we do baptism because Jesus himself was baptized. Jesus was baptized and he commanded baptism for his followers. But why? Why did Jesus command these things? Well, baptism, what we'll see, is a living analogy. It's a living analogy of spiritual realities. What what do I mean by that? What do I mean that it's analogy, an analogy? Well, there's nothing magical about the water of Green Lake. Nothing magical. Um, In fact, my parents grew up in the city of Seattle, just right off yonder, Lake City and U District. They grew up there, and when they were kids, uh, like... It was like 100 years ago or something. When they were kids, just joking, they're very young actually, they would come to Green Lake and swim in the waters of Green Lake when they were just children. Guess what? Nothing magical happened. That was not what saved them. There's nothing magical. This is an analogy of a living spiritual reality. What do I mean by living? That it's a living analogy. Well, There's physicality to our faith. There's always physicality to our faith. Our faith is not just ideas. It's not just spirit. It's also our bodies. God has created those, given us those, and those will remain in the future of God's kingdom. We have living people here today speaking, living acoustic blasts pertaining to to the condition of their hearts, which are beating with real blood. And they have a living state of mind that they are confessing today is geared toward and centered around Jesus Christ. So this is not a cold, dead tradition. This is a living tradition, a living analogy. It's also living because the living God is here with us today. He is present with us today in a very special way. As we sang in that first song, this is a holy moment. God is with us always, but I do believe in a special way As we'll see as we continue to talk about baptism, he comes and participates in baptism in a very significant, special way. So this is a holy moment with the living God here with us today. Just like we cannot see the wind, but we know that the wind is present by the way that it rustles the leaves. We feel it on our face. In the same way, though God, we cannot see him here today, we know that he's here today because you will hear of his power and his grace in the lives of those being baptized. So we know that God is with us today. This is a living analogy. A living analogy of what? Of spiritual realities. Spiritual realities. What do I mean by that? In the lives of those being baptized today, something profound has occurred. But while you may, may, may look at them and see them and say, well, they look just the same. They look, they look the same. They part their hair the same. They smell the same. They're using the same shampoo. And I do recommend doubling down on shampoo after baptism for the four of you. Green Lake's not what it used to be when my parents grew up. It's, you know, still it's okay to swim. You say they look the same. They smell the same. They sound the same. What has changed? Well, regardless of any of the consistency you you see in them, what the living analogy of baptism portrays is a very real transformation that has happened in the spiritual realm. So they have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. 
They have gone from spiritual self-centeredness to spiritual Christ-centeredness. They have gone from spiritual old self to spiritual new self. They have gone from spiritual uncleanness to spiritual holiness. They have gone from spiritual orphanhood to spiritually being part of the family of God. Amen? Amen. That is what we are celebrating today. Those are the spiritual realities of which baptism is a living analogy. And if you didn't know that, you'd just think, well, what's so special about the waters of Green Lake? Well, this is what we are reenacting. It's a drama. And though baptism is a simple act, and I love that it's so simple, what does it mean? Anyone of any race, ethnicity, educational level, socioeconomic background, from every nation in the world, all you have to do to participate in the identifying mark of the church is find some water and be baptized. Isn't it found? It's, it's fantastic that it's such a simple act, yet it portrays a, a reenactment of a drama that is massive in scale, eternal in length and spiritual in depth. The transformation has already taken place, and we are reliving it today through the living analogy of baptism. It is so amazing. I'm just, if you can't tell, I'm fairly excited about what's going to be happening today. Now, to explain baptism a little bit further, let me use two other analogies, because I really want you to understand what's happening. Two other analogies that explain the living analogy, okay? Baptism is like a wedding. It's like a wedding. There's two times in your life where you will gather all of your friends and your family. You'll walk down the center aisle of the church. You'll stand in front of the congregation with just you and a pastor, and you will express your intent for being there. Then you will make vows that you want to be held to by the witnesses. That's all of you. And you will seal that ceremony with a symbolic act. A kiss, for instance, or today, dunking in the water. Two times in your life. At your wedding and at your baptism. You think it's an accident that these things are similar? I don't think so. What do they have in common? They have in common this, that we are celebrating union. We are celebrating union. When you are baptized, you are declaring that Jesus, the historical person who lived and walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, is the Christ. He is the Christ. That means he's the Savior, the Redeemer, the Son of God, who brings back together heaven and earth. He is the Christ, and he is Lord, my Lord. I belong to him. So, so what these uh, folks today are saying is, Jesus Christ is my Lord. That is what they were proclaiming, and that's what people for 2,000 years have been proclaiming in baptism, okay? So there's union. That's what we come to celebrate. And also, like a wedding, we are choosing and agreeing to belong to one another. Christ has agreed and chosen to belong to you, and today you are agreeing to belong to Christ. Just like a wedding. Just like a wedding. Third thing, the ceremony is a public expression of an internal reality. So when you get married, for most of us, you've already fallen in love, right? That's why you end up asking the person to marry you or saying yes when they ask you. 
It is something that's already happened in your heart, and now you are publicly expressing it, the internal reality. That's what's happening at baptism. The people that are being baptized have already experienced this transformation, this going from old life to new life, uh, this, this going from orphanhood to a family member of God. They've already experienced that, and now they're making it public. And just like a wedding, as I said before, you are the witnesses that must hold those being baptized today accountable to the vows that they've made. If you didn't know that when you go to a wedding, that, you, that if you see somebody breaking their vows, it's your job to go say something, punch them in the face, do whatever it takes to get them to remember that they have chosen to unite themselves with their bride or their groom. Same thing with baptism. You're witnessing today something that you are now called by God to hold them accountable to. Do they continue to put Christ at the center or have they moved the self back in the center? We all do that. We all go through this roller coaster of life with God and when those moments come, you are the witnesses that will say, hey, I was at your baptism. I remember when you said, I wanna be united with Christ. I want him to be at the center. He is my savior and my Lord. I belong to him. Your wedding and your baptism. Second analogy. Baptism is like circumcision. What? <laughs> okay. Didn't see that coming. Nope. Didn't see that coming. Welcome to Sedaris. Uh, we are going through a book of the Bible right now on Sundays at Sedaris. We are in the book of Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Colossians, will tell us that baptism is like circumcision. Now, what in the world are we talking about here? Well, in the Old Testament, the Jewish nation of which Christianity came up through, circumcision was the mark that all Jewish people would put upon uh, their young male children to mark them as part of the people of God, of the community of God. And what Paul is saying, in some similar way, Baptism is like circumcision. So let's read that real quick. I know you don't have Bible, so, so I'll read it for you. And we'll see what Paul is saying and then try to explain it, okay? Here we go. If, if you have your phone and you want to look it up, you can. It's Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. It says this. In him, that's in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. What's he talking about? He's talking about spiritual circumcision. By putting off the body of the flesh, the flesh being that sinful old nature that we all have, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him, that's Christ, from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that's Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's the, the spirits of evil in this world, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's in Christ. This is a fabulous text that explains to us really what is going on, the deep levels 
of which baptism is, okay? So here's what this means. In him, that's in Christ, you were circumcised. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've proclaimed him as Lord and Savior, you have been circumcised. And what does he say this circumcision is? It is a putting off of the body of flesh. And then he goes on to say, like being buried with him in your baptism. Let me explain. Being buried with him in the baptism, what we'll say when we dunk them in the water, I'm having some wind issues up here. When he dunked them in the water, what we'll say is buried with Christ in baptism, you are uniting with his death on the cross, and then we'll raise them up and say, risen to walk in, newness, in, uh, in the newness of Christ. And so in your baptism, you are symboling that you have actually died with Christ. Going down into the water is like going down into the grave, that your old self has died and your new self is coming alive again. And so... Paul is saying that that is like circumcision and that you put off the body of flesh. The body of flesh is what? The body that, that sins against and trespasses against your creator, God. So in verse 13, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins because our sin separates us from God who is life. So we are dead in our trespasses and in the uncircumcision of our heart, he says, of our fleshly old nature... Until we die with Christ and are risen to walk in newness of life. Okay? So going down in the water is an analogy for these verses in uh, verse 13 and 14 where it says, When you come back up out of the water, you are, it says, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. That's past, present, and future sin and trespass and rebellion against God. How did he do it? By nailing it to the cross. And it's so interesting when he talks about nailing it to the cross here, he says, by putting it aside. So here, here's what I want you to think about, okay? You are standing here before you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and everything that's due, all the payment that's due against your actions in life, many of which are rebellious trespasses against God, your creator, who has told you the way that you should live, and you end up living how you, you think you should live. And so everything that's due to you is recorded unto you as a debt. So you're standing here. And what Paul is saying in this text is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all that debt was put aside, okay? So it was put to the side. It used to be above you, and now it's put to the side. Now, here's what's interesting. Can God just take it and move it to the side and sort of put it on a shelf somewhere? The answer is no, because he is both a God of love and a God of justice. So here's what I want you to think about when you watch them being baptized. Remember I said it's like a wedding. Well, guess what happens at a wedding? There's both a bride and what? A groom. And where do they stand? Next to each other. So when these individuals are being baptized, guess who is standing right next to them? Christ Jesus, their Lord. And so when Paul says, your trespasses, your debt was set aside, 
it is moved from upon you and it is transferred onto he that stands next to you. Your groom, Christ Jesus your Lord, who hung from a cross and your sin and the wrath of God do that sin was nailed to him. That is what we're celebrating with the union of baptism. That it's Christ Jesus that stands next to you so that when God sets aside, he sets it right on and deals with it once and for all. That you will never pay the penalty for that sin, past, present, or future. Now what should that make you want to do? Weep. Cry. Out of what? Love for the one that would do that for you. That is what the living analogy of baptism is reminding us of. That God took that old sinful debt and placed it upon Christ and dealt with it once and for all. Amen. We are now alive again to God because of that work of Christ. Not only do we remove the old, but we put on the new Paul says, we are raised with him to walk in newness of life. Why? Because the shackles, the weights that were sitting over us are no longer over us, but have been dealt with in Christ. That is why we have new life, and this life is a life with Christ, because once we unite to him, we can no longer be separated from him. Praise God, no matter what we do. And this life is not only a life with Christ, but guess what it's also? Because guess what? There's four people being baptized. Guess who they're all united to? The same Christ. So guess what? Now those four people that are united to Christ are united together so that life is lived in the body, which is the church. And that's why baptism is the mark of the New Testament church, because it is a mark that is both saying that I'm uniting to Christ, but I'm also uniting with each and every other individual who themselves is united to Christ you can't do baptism without doing church. It is the mark of the beginning of your life in the community of God, just like circumcision was the mark of the beginning of your life in the community of God. You see the parallels? This is an amazing moment because it marks our union with Christ and our union with the church. And so baptism, rightly seen, Marks our membership and what? Belonging to the universal, eternal family of God. And that can never be taken from us once we agree to belong. So I want to drill this down. This is such an important thought. To agree to belong. In the Greek text, the word church that has been translated in all the languages around the world, the word that we get church from actually means the Lord's belonging. That's what the church means in the Greek, the Lord's belonging. So what is the church? It's the Lord's belonging. So when you mark yourself as part of the church, you're marking yourself as part of the Lord's belonging. And in the Heidelberg Catechism, which is just a list of explaining the beliefs of the church, written in the Netherlands uh, 500 years ago, they define the church in this way, and I love it, so I'm going to read it to you. And it stresses that, that the people of God are both called out of the world, out of their old lives, out of their old sin, and they are called together into this corporate community. So this is what it says. Listen closely. It says this. The Son of God, that is Jesus Christ, from the beginning to the end of the world, gathers, defends, 
and preserves to himself by his spirit and his word out of the whole human race a church chosen to everlasting life agreeing in true faith i i love that let me read it one more time the son of god from the beginning to the end of the world gathers defends and preserves to himself by his spirit and by his word out of the whole human race a church chosen to everlasting life agreeing in true faith so here are the two parts of of being a part of the belonging of the lord it means that you have been chosen to everlasting life and it means that you agree in true faith so to belong to christ to be a part of the church requires that to agree in true faith faith that what that he has chosen you to everlasting life meaning what that i agree that i did not save myself i agree that it was not my deeds it was not my actions it was not my niceness it was not my kindness i did nothing but christ did everything returning to the analogy of colossians 2 and circumcision what is he saying he says you can't get into the family of god by a circumcision made by human hands anybody can do that you get into the family of god by a spiritual circumcision the work of christ christ's circumcision on the cross where he died and rose again it's entirely the work of jesus christ it's entirely the work of jesus christ it's entirely the work of jesus christ god in christ chose to come god in christ chose to be nailed to the cross god in christ chose to absorb the wrath due our sin god chose to die he chose to defeat evil and death he chose to rise again and he chose to send this good news of the gospel message of grace through his spirit and through his word around the world until somehow it hit the ears and the minds of four individuals who today are declaring he died for me like do you see this God chose to make himself known to Urson and Jeff and Tiffany and Laura and each and every one of us who knows God personally. He chose it and he chose them for eternal life. Are you seeing this clearly? This is not an average Sunday. This is not an average tradition. This is an eternal God-glorifying, magnifying example of who God is his love for us his justice and the way he brings us in to his family praise be to God this is an amazing work and we had nothing to do to, with it God did it on our behalf and their acknowledgement of that today those are who are being baptized that God in Christ Jesus has already done all the work for them it is telling us just think of the act itself it, it it the act itself is telling us that they know they can't work their way to salvation right think of the act think of the act they literally stand there and what we tell them is let your legs go out <laughs> it's literally a non-striving going limp a surrender to a plunge into the water and they will drown if i don't pull them back up it is 
You see, it's a living analogy. It's acting out this whole thing that you cannot save yourself, but being united to Christ and his finished work on the cross and the resurrection is the only thing that saves you. Baptism is like a passive act of agreement. Now, you do need to agree to belong. You need to agree to step into the waters of baptism. You need to agree that God's grace has saved you. You do need to agree to belong as opposed to working to belong. You need to agree to belong as opposed to belonging regardless of what you do. You do need to agree to belong. And, I, and I'm a big basketball fan. Those of you who go to our church know this. Number one pick of the draft has a biblical name, so I'm using him in a biblical analogy. His name's Zion Williamson, and he is the first pick of the draft, and he is a great example of how this works. Do you know how this works? Let me explain to you how this works. Zion Williamson is drafted by the New Orleans Pelicans, okay? Number one pick of the draft. The Pelicans desired a relationship with Zion, so... They saw value in him. They saw a future with him. They were willing to pay a price to be in relationship with him. And they, forgo, for, uh, they gave up all other options to choose him, number one. They could not do any other way. And when he was drafted, he in one sense belongs to them. But wait, the relationship is not living and not real until what? Until Zion agrees to belong, until he agrees to belong. So he does have a part to play. He must agree to belong. And even though in his heart, before he signed the contract, he had probably already made his decision that he would sign the contract, he still must go through the process of writing his name on the contract to seal the relationship. And before that ink is dry, he is in now a secured, real relationship, and the riches of the team and the organization begin to flow down to Zion as soon as he marks publicly his desire to be in relationship with them. Now, now the blessings flow. In the same way, baptism is like signing that contract. God has seen value. Where's my baptizes? Raise your hand. God has seen value in you. You say, what has he seen? I don't know. I just know by what he's done that he's seen value in you. He said, I want to be with you. And he's done everything to make that happen. He saw a future with you, an eternal future with you. And so he made the decision. He made the choice. He paid the price. He forego all other options. Now your heart must choose to agree to belong to him. It probably already has. That internal spiritual reality through your baptism will be the public record that this relationship is now live and active and eternal. And so it's not nothing. It's something very important. You are agreeing to belong to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, your Savior and Lord from this day forward. And guess what? Even death won't part you. You'll be with him in eternity for all time, enjoying the benefits of being a part of God's family. Amen? 
So say this to yourself in your head if you're being baptized today. Or remember your baptism. Remember the vows that you've made and, and just reaffirm them in your heart right now. I agree, I cannot save myself. I agree, I am a sinner in need of God's grace. I agree that Jesus did it all. I agree to belong to him. It is that shared agreement that unites us as the people of God, all true Christians everywhere throughout all history and every nation around the world, that shared faith and love in a God who chose to love you first and to love you forever is what binds us now through this living analogy, this shared proclamation of baptism saying, I agree to belong to Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the work that you've done. Not, in, not, not just in creating us, but in sending your son Jesus to die in our place, that you might move to the side our wrath and debt incurred for our trespasses and lay that upon Jesus who took care of it on the cross and then rose from the grave, proclaiming it is finished, it is done, it is gone, it is far as the east is from the west. Thank you for that. But not only that, thank you for sending your spirit to empower true disciples to take your gospel message around the cities and the towns of Jerusalem and then out to the next layer of county and country and then across the seas to America and then into the homes and the hearts of those who know Andrea Urson, Jeff and Tiffany and then into the hearts of Andrea Urson, Jeff, Tiffany and Laura that they might know you personally and what you've done for them 2,000 years ago and continue to do for them from now into eternity. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We can do nothing without you and so we just simply and humbly in surrender say, Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come up here. We're going to do two songs, or three songs, and then we are going to hear from the baptism candidates themselves about the story of God's grace in their lives. Yeah, guys, come on up here. Give them a round of applause as they come up. Great to see you guys. Yeah. All right, so you guys just line up this way here. You go there. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Oh, look at that. Yeah, how about that? You braved it. Yeah, you're, that will be clean soon. Okay, great. Well, uh, like I said, my name is uh, Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're about to hear these guys' stories. Before we do that, I'm going to read a little bit of scripture about baptism, probably the most popular scripture about baptism in the Bible, just so that uh, can really tee up what these guys are, have gone through and, and what all Christians go through. Um, and so, so yeah, uh, baptism, the greatest unifier, the greatest unifier uh, of all Christians. Um, so there's two billion of them in the earth of all races, nationalities, socioeconomic backgrounds like Dave was talking about there. And baptism is some, the same dramatic event enacted for each and every one 
where we all get to say that we are all part of the body of Christ together. And, and you're going to hear four individual stories here of, of these guys, uh, their individual stories, but they're going to be describing something in individual terms that is true for every Christian. For every Christian. Um, but if, if your, your story may actually align with these guys, feel free. We're going to have a baptism or we're going to have a barbecue right afterwards. Feel free to walk up to them, chat with them, ask them questions, share your story. Uh, the power of their stories is, is that God uniquely reached out to each of them to bring them to know, to, to know Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. So uh, do that. Use the baptism time for that. They'd love to share even more than they can or, the, or that they have time for up here. So um, I'm going to read this uh, Bible verse here, um, and then, uh, then I'll, I'll pass the mic to Tiffany, okay? All right, this is Romans chapter 6. It was Romans chapter 6. All right. There we go. All right, Romans chapter 6. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking, writing to the, the church in Rome. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism to death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, to sin he died once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right? So that is uh, baptism time, baptism to the Christian life here. And so now we're just going to go down the road here. This is, so, this is one of my favorite parts of the, ser- the, the whole service. And uh, just tell us uh, why you want to be baptized today and what brought you to this moment. All right? Go ahead, Tiffany. I'm Tiffany, and I was supposed to be here last year being baptized with my twin sister. And um, if some of you were here, you might remember that she said she would take a double dip. And I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. So I came back this year. Um, I grew up Lutheran. I was baptized as a baby. Um, I also went through confirmation um, begrudgingly when I was 14. Um, I got away from my faith about the age of 18 when I went off to college. I was probably gone for 25 years, and in that time, I wasn't a believer. Um, I was into more new agey things. The universe was my God, Uh, tarot cards and, you know, the new age occult type stuff. And um, I found that that brought um, evil spirits. I didn't realize it at the time, Um, but... I also um, battled addiction for years, and I had relapsed. This was probably about a year, year and a half ago, and um, I was under spiritual attack. And I also had people come into my 
life and my home and they stole my identity and I was just left in a really tough situation where I was trying to control the situation, I was trying to control the uncontrollable and I really came to the end of myself. Um, I, I asked the Lord to carry it for me and he did. And that's when I knew he was real. And um, I took up my cross and I followed him ever since. And I really, I thank him for pursuing me. Um, I also thank my twin sister, who's no longer here, because she was such an example. And I saw the joy that she had and I wanted it too. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for our past that actually led us to the Lord. So even when there's evil, there can be much joy in the morning. And uh, so I just want to signify my new walk with Christ. And um, I wanted to read uh, Luke. Here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Luke 15:4. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I can't read without my glasses. <laughs> we'll do a switch. We'll do a switcheroo. Okay. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. For I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Okay. Oh, there's a lot of you. Um, my name is Laura. Um, I have been a believer for a really long time. Um, there's not really like one moment or event that I can pinpoint in my past. I think um, God's just been gradually revealing more and more of himself to me as my life has gone on. Um, and that all started um, in the Catholic Church um, where I was baptized as a baby. And um, that really set a foundation for understanding God's power and his love for me. Um, that later grew into understanding this personal relationship that he loves me so much that he wants to have with me. Um, and eventually I stumbled across community and I learned about um, just the richness that that offers for us in our, in our faith um, and continuing to grow. Um, and if I'm honest, I think my life has been pretty comfortable, uh, pretty easy smooth sailing with, you know, little ups and downs, but I've, I have a family that loves me. I have incredible friends. Um, I've been able to have jobs and mentors in my life that I've learned so much from. Um, I got to spend two years in the Caribbean uh, doing Peace Corps. Like, how can you complain about that? Um, but at the same time, those, those two years were the most uncomfortable that I've ever had in my life. Um, and I, I just felt the most like exposed and lonely 
and um, inadequate. Um, and I just was pushed to my limit, like it seemed like every day, like mental, physical, spiritual, emotional. Um, and I think it, I just came face to face with a lot of my brokenness and a lot of the ways that I fall short constantly. And um, I just recognize my pride and my impatience and my insecurities about my identity and my worth. Um, and most of all, I think God just like shattered this illusion that I had been living in of self-sufficiency, that I could do this on my own, that I knew best, that I, that I had it. Um, and yeah, so um, during that time, I also came face to face with God's provision and his relent, relentless, that's the word, relentless love for me. And, um, and I think I, the biggest thing that I took away from it was recognizing that everything is a gift, that his grace is a gift, that our time is a gift every day. Like, it's all these things that I can't, I can't provide for myself that it's through him that, that I have everything that I have. Um, and coming home, coming back to Seattle, uh, this is honestly the first time that I've, I really feel like I'm home. Um, and that's not anything that I've built or designed or, um, and same goes for my identity and my worth. It's not something that I have to earn or create. Uh, or make into a pretty bundle to present to people. That's all of that is a gift from God. And so um, that's why I'm here to repent of all of the ways that I take that gift for granted um, of all the times that I try to do this on my own and uh, believe that, that I somehow know best um, and to receive that gift. Um, I just feel like God's been putting this on my heart the last few weeks. I had not, this is like in the last month that this has been uh, happening inside of me that I just couldn't, I couldn't deny it. And I just felt like the more I engaged with everything that Ryan and Dave have been talking about the last few weeks, um, the more and more I felt like God was inviting me to get in that cold water and publicly repent and receive his grace and say publicly that that's enough. Good morning. My name is Urson. Uh, before I get started, special thanks to my parents who flew from Southern California to witness my baptism today. And to Andrew's parents, uh, aunt and cousins who are here as well, to the Sedaris community who've been so welcoming and encouraging these last 18 months in which I've been considering Jesus, and to Andrea, who helped unlock something that I think had been, with God's help, unlocking something that had been brewing within me my entire life. Uh, most of you know I was, uh, I'm Turkish. I was born in Istanbul. I came to the U.S. with my family when I was one. I was raised in a, a loving household, um, one in which we had a uh, maybe an immature understanding of um, spirituality and God and that we didn't understand how to have a relationship with God, uh, nor really recognize uh, when he had been present in our life and our experiences. Um, and re in reflecting in my past up to this point 
and understanding where, um, where I had this separation with God, I think the thing that I, um, most stands out is this, uh, I, I had this tendency to succumb to uh, the pervasive culture and its prioritization of individualism that I had the authority to define what was best for others and for myself, uh, and that in my arrogance, I could assign uh, the criteria for how to live a righteous life, uh, morality, and virtue. And even beyond that, uh, I never really lived up to it, and when I had shortcomings, I wasn't honest in my heart about th those shortcomings, that I ha always had some way of self-rationalizing or excusing improper behavior. I think where uh, God started kind of reeling me back in into a relationship with him. Uh, started with Andrea, my fiance, who invited me to come to Sedaris, as well as to participate in the uh, crash course for Christianity, known as Alpha. Uh, and that began a period of consideration, uh, which required prayerful consideration and a request and, and uh, an accepted request for providing the Holy Spirit to enter my being and my heart uh, and I think the significant mindset shift that occurred was uh, in the beginning of my journey of consideration, everything was very external. I, I was considering scripture, the gospel accounts, uh, and asking questions such as, you know, what does this mean to Christians? Or, or what do these gospel truths mean to uh, Sedaris? Uh, what does Jesus' sacrifice mean to Andrea? And at some point, uh, there was a shift where I had a much more personal consideration of those gospel truths and scripture, which had been defined by an authority beyond me thousands of years ago. And I started asking questions about what do they mean to me and how am I living up to those, uh, these truths and these criteria for how to live a righteous life. And I started feeling the pinpricks of sin in my life and recognizing those and learning how I needed to you know, put those to bed, uh, put that old self to bed. I think what I'm most excited about in the continual growth, spiritual growth, incremental growth, uh, I'm excited about, in addition to recognizing these areas of sin in my life, um, taking more deliberate action and living the new life. And uh, you know, what that means for me is being more deliberate in demonstrating sacrificial love to my peers, my family members, my brothers and sisters, uh, and continuing to put that individualistic self uh, beyond me. So I'm excited for the journey. I know it's going to be a, a long one, and I'm glad that everyone's here to participate with me, and thanks for your support. I have uh, cheat notes. Hi, everyone. Um, so I jotted down some bullet points this morning, um, and they're very disorganized. Uh, if I had a prediction of how this is going to go, I'm going to start strong and end very poorly. But, you know, we'll see if my prediction is correct. Okay, so if you could uh, title my story, I think it would be called I Was Wrong. Um, a year ago, um, we had this service, the exact same service, and um, sat right over there. Um, so I was in your position right now. Um, I'd been going to Sedaris for uh, several months leading up to that, and um, but I had been kind of absent for the last few months um, for a variety of reasons I won't go into. Um, 
I remember that day, I was, um, like I said, I sat over there. I was wearing these shorts. I was, I think I was wearing these um, shoes as well. Um, I had asked Matt and Hannah Bieber, and I think many of you may know them, um, they're, they moved away. But I'd asked them um, if I could come to church with them, and they said, oh, this is a perfect time to, to come back because this is uh, Baptism Sunday. So I decided to do it. I rationalized it in my head because I thought, oh, it's going to be good. This will be a good excuse to get in some sun that day. Um, I don't like the sun, as many of you, well, some of you know. Um, but I do know that it's good for synthesizing vitamin D. I have a complicated relationship with the sun, really. Um, as, I was, as I came here, nothing in particularly uh, exciting happened. Um, throughout most of the service, I think I thought about what I wanted to do after. Um, I knew that there was this picnic afterwards, and I was thinking about excuses for why I didn't have to go to that and why I could just you know, leave afterwards straight away. Um, when Josh, Nate, Tim, and Tracy gave their testimonies, um, I didn't know them too well. I've come to know them, I've come to know three of them very well um, over the past year, but at that time I really didn't. Um, so their, their stories, um, they didn't mean too terribly much to me, if I'm honest. Um, I think I had briefly met Tim once before, but I don't think I had met Josh and, and Nate. Um, if I'm thinking back to the, that day, I remember, um, I remember feeling a sense of emptiness and loneliness. Uh, I remember thinking that if God, if the God of the Bible, um, if he doesn't exist, that this is a very foolish, silly thing that we're all doing. Um, throughout all of that, um, in all my wandering thoughts, I didn't, um, I didn't stop to answer the question, why was I there? Why was I sitting where you're all sitting right now? And uh, over the last couple of days, um, this morning, I know, I know why I was there. It's very clear to me. I'm not going to go into my backstory, um, at least not very much. Um, my twenties were sort of a story of wrestling with unbelief. Um, I was raised in a Christian background, but. I called myself an atheist for most of my 20s up until last December. Um, and I think a good way to uh, sum summarize that period of time, I was, uh, I was searching for hope, a meaning, and purpose. And I was searching for all of that without a savior and without a Lord and without God. And boy, I really wanted that. Um, so I, I, after 
Baptism Sunday this this time last year, I spent another five months or so going to church, doing much the same thing, coming to church every week, um, getting there a little bit late so I wouldn't have to to talk too much with people, um, leaving a little bit early maybe so I don't have to talk too much with people, um, uh, you know, bearing the the brunt of the the dreaded four-minute conversation. Um, and I met some people, and I, I, I told myself the reason I was going to church was to foster community, and, um, you know, I wanted to do something to get me out of the house on Sunday. These are the ways I put it in my mind. Um, I missed one of my lines already, but I was wrong. Um, beginning of December last uh, last year, um, it was a similar story, and in the middle of the service, I lights came on. Um, making this long story very short, but uh, I decided to surrender. I looked up the word, this is a little bit disorganized, sorry. I looked up the word nihilism this morning. Does anyone know what nihilism means? No hands? Hands? All right. So nihilism is the rejection of all religion and moral principles and the belief that life is meaningless. And when, at least in my experience, when you wrestle with the very existence of God, your the natural, logical conclusion is nihilism. I don't think you can find hope and meaning and purpose without uh, the existence of a God. I don't think it's possible. I tried really hard for like seven years. Um, I just wrote a few lines here. I'm just going to read them off really quickly if you don't mind. Meaning cannot be derived from that which is meaningless. Out of nothing may purpose uh, be achieved. There is no hope for those who don't believe I've decided to surrender, and I've decided to uh, believe. Um, I decided to believe. And that's only possible because of a lot of people. I'm going to name you off, unfortunately, right now. Um, all of you who have been so instrumental in my life in the last uh, seven months or so. Mom, Dad, Reverend David, Mark, if you're here. Colin, Brittany, Callie, the Turner clan, Thomas. Um, you meant so much to me. And uh, thank you for listening to me babble. <laughs> Thanks. Great job, guys. So, so that's it. That's that's the stories uh, of these four, and I encourage you guys to approach them, encourage them, love on them um, during the, the the barbecue. Which you're going to be there, right, Jeff? You're not going to jet out early. Yeah, that, that's part of his transformation. You see. Um, <laughs>
Um, and so this last song is Amazing Grace, uh, which we sing a lot at Sedaris, and churches have been singing for hundreds and hundreds of years. So band, you can come on back up and start getting positioned here. And um, the, the band decided to do this song interestingly, very interestingly. We're, we're going to start singing it together here on the hill. And then we're going to, with your sheets, just walk on down while we're singing it to Green Lake together. And uh, the, the, the band will make clear when that transition will happen. And so we'll sing Amazing Grace onto the lake over here. I think I just called it a river. But it's, it, it's a lake. And um, then we'll baptize these guys. So thank you for being here with us. And take it away, Jordan. Great job, guys. Thank you. 